Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm really excited for today's conversation because we have three education leaders here in Nebraska, some of our best, who are going to walk us through a little bit about some of the recent legislation that is finishing going through. And so for those that have been following the education-related legislation, we can give you an update with today's podcast. And so I'm grateful to Dr. Mike Delaney, uh, who's the executive director of NCSA, uh, to Kyle McGowan, who's also with NCSA. He's an ambassador and legislative consultant for them. And then Jack Moles, who's the executive director of NERCSA. So gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. And thank you so much for joining us for today's conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, so I guess let's just kind of dive right into it. And I'll have you give introductions as you get started, because there's a lot of ground that we'd hope to cover over the course of uh, today's conversation. But to begin with, uh, this is a 90-day session, which makes it a little bit atypical to begin with. But in addition to that, the overall situation at the present moment, I know, is not in the familiar rhythms, at least. And so maybe kind of set the stage for folks who haven't been following it quite as closely. And uh, I'll throw things over to Mike to start. Well, thank you, Andrew. We really appreciate the invite. And Look forward to talking about some of the things happening. I think all three of us would agree that this session is by far the most unique session we've experienced in years. Uh, This is my 32nd session as a lobbyist. And I can tell you, I remember the days when there was more civility in the body and more willingness to listen. Um, I go back to another momentous event that happened prior to session, which some people may not have paid any notice or thought, but when Patrick O'Donnell, who was the longtime clerk of the legislature, a highly respected gentleman who did an incredible effort all of those years helping to keep the legislature going and organized. And he made some comments after his retirement announcement that he noticed that there was less willingness to listen to one another on the floor during debate, less willingness to work out differences. And and I think that says it all. Uh, That's what's been happening. So what has happened, of course, the, the polarizing issues where you have the abortion issue and then two transgender bills, one of which made it to the floor, the other still in committee. It really just caused a an incredible shift in the way things are done. And here's what came out of that, because the legislature must go on. And if you have this ongoing filibuster effort on every single bill at every single stage, each bill would take up to 14 hours, which means at least a day or more in order to do that. Given that that phenomenon, what has happened is that committees who are in charge of their own jurisdiction of bills have decided to create these super priority, super committee priority bills that include anywhere from 24 in the case of LB 705 and upwards to 30 in a bill that they'll debate today, LB 727 at a revenue committee. They're just loading up all of these measures that they, the committee, agree upon, putting them in one bill and moving it out. Now, some would say, well, that's a Christmas tree bill. That's not really a Christmas tree bill. The way we look at Christmas tree bills is senators on the floor 
are adding their ornament to the bill as it moves forward. Well, actually what they're doing is they're locking and loading the bill in committee, moving it out of committee, and then being extraordinarily careful about who gets to add that ornament, so to speak. So this is the only way that they can get any legislation through. And if you notice, if you watch the debate, like Jack and Kyle and I do, you know that they don't really actually talk about the issues in the bills. They're talking about the things that are bothering them at the time, which would be the abortion issue or the transgender issue. And so unfortunately, very little debate is occurring on the substance of the proposal. That's frustrating to lobbyists like us because we have concerns in LB705 and they're simply not being addressed. Nobody's talking about the concerns we have and the issues that could be there for schools down the road. So that's the byproduct of this, this new process. So the other thing that's happening, I've noticed is, and this I, I hope doesn't get overly complicated, but it's really very key to the situation. So every bill or most bills that are advanced from general file or from select file will have editorial uh, amendments. Now, these, these are amendments that the bill drafters come up with. They may notice a word misspelled or a sentence that was not constructed right. So they put in these little ENR enrollment and review amendments that say we need to change this word, need to change that or whatever. They're all editorial in nature. Well, what happens is when those ENR amendments are introduced, they're introduced at the very front of the debate, the very first item that is debated. So the very savvy lawmakers over at the Capitol are deciding to add substantive amendments onto the ENR amendments. So in other words, they're bypassing all the motions to kill and just going straight to the ENR amendments to have any hope of advancing their measure. So that's the thing happening. And it can be frustrating, but it can also be interesting from a political science perspective. So that's an overview. Jack, you can add what you want. Well, when, when you have these big bills, you know, the, the problem is a lot of the, I think Mike already pointed out, but a lot of what happens is you, you don't really get debate on specific parts of the bill a lot of times. And, and that's frustrating because the issues that we have with parts of the bill don't always come out. As Mike mentioned, 705 has over 20 separate bills in it. There will be some things we like, some things we don't like. But when it's presented to the governor, he either vetoes the entire bill or doesn't veto the entire bill. So Kyle, as you mentioned there, there is over 20 different pieces that have fed into 705. So what are some of those maybe that we could highlight over the course of today's conversation? And, uh, and that's really going to be the aim for listeners here. Know that we are going to go through some of those different components. And so what's one we could start with? Well, I always suggest student discipline. There are three measures within 705 on student discipline that are very important. And actually, before, if you count the underlying bill 705, 705 started out as a redistribution of the lottery proceeds for education. And right now there's around $24 million that is generated through the lottery and dedicated for educational purposes. Now, for about, what, 10 years now, the bulk of that money is going towards post-secondary scholarship funds. 
K-12 actually gets kind of the, the lesser half of that arrangement. It's not a heck of a lot of money, but you'd be surprised at the number of attempts over the years to gather as much of that as people can for one pet project or another. Uh, it's been an ongoing effort. They're trying to get their hands on what little money is there available. Well, what happens in 705 is to uh, have a new distribution formula. Once again, K-12 is on the lesser half of the equation and post-secondary gets the bulk of it. But what little money is there is going, part of it is going to go towards a new behavioral management fund for training purposes. So this goes back to an issue that Kyle and I uh, in particular, but Jack too, have worked on for now seven years. And that is uh, a, a former senator's attempt to say that there has to be more discipline in the classroom by the teacher. And we, of course, objected and said, we believe that that is the auspices of the principal, uh, not the teacher. And so this debate has been going on for that long, seven years. And it's uh, typically referred to as the use of physical force or restraint. Well, I think we won the argument on the whole. And Senator Merman has dedicated X amount of dollars, lottery money for training. This is what we've always said was the right solution to a, a real problem. And that is to offer training to school personnel on how to de-escalate situations in the classroom. So part of 705 does relate to discipline. Then there are three measures that are incorporated within. We'll start with LB 811. Since we just talked about the training, 811 was the bill that Senator Merman intended would offer that use of physical intervention. We objected again. We opposed that measure. And I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Senator Lynn Walls, a real friend to education, was the one who brokered the deal inside committee to kind of water down those provisions. So what came out, what's now part of 705, is a mandate to the Department of Education to do a model policy on when to remove a kid from the classroom, how to use behavioral management, all of these things, and that feeds back to the training. So we felt that we got what we're looking for. Yeah, the focus that resulted from 811 was more services for training for teachers and NDEs responsible to come up with sort of a, a model framework for that. So 811, we still oppose it. We still don't think there's any need to have that uh, change in the policy, but it's certainly better than what was originally proposed, which was a, a fairly aggressive change to the Student Discipline Act. So another piece that's included in 705 is the provisions of Senator Vargas's LB-774. And that, again, is a concept that we've had concerns with for, what, five years now, right? Yep. So 774 mm -hmm. basically overhauls the process for expelling students. And as Mike said, we've been working with Senator Vargas for about five years on this bill. And to his credit, he's made a lot of movement. But the issues were, uh, first of all, we, we didn't think it needed to be changed. We, we think the current process is fine. But what we could buy into is Senator Vargas says, well, we want to make sure kids stay on a path to graduate, even though they've made some mistakes and they might be expelled. And we could buy into that. 
What we continue to struggle with is that the hearing officer and that hearing process is unfair. We don't believe it was. But Senator Marcus did win on his bill. The right now, a new a new change is that when a school chooses a hearing officer, if that parent doesn't like who was chosen, the superintendent will come up with an alternative. Well, that's a big change from what he originally said, but that was the compromise. But there are several provisions in which you have to meet to even become a hearing officer. And so there's lots of pieces in this. It'll be really important for schools to look at it. Uh, another piece that we were very concerned about and didn't get changed is if a school tells a student they have to go to the alternative school, because all districts are required to still provide an education, even though you're expelled, right? But the parent says, I don't want my kid to go to the alternative school. They don't have to. But then the district will have to come up with a different option to educate them. So those are things in the bill that are significantly different than what schools have been working with now. Right. And then the third substantive discipline bill was LB 632, which was introduced by Senator McKinney. This one caught us uh, by surprise. Very much. I'll, I'll admit, uh, because the original bill applied only to Omaha area schools. So organizations like NERCSA, NCSA, and others felt, okay, that's a metro issue. And uh, well, the Education Committee decided to amend that bill to make it applicable to all school districts in Nebraska, and they inserted that in LB 705. So Jack, do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, LB 632 basically says that a school would not be able to suspend for disciplinary purposes, a student in grades pre-K through second grade. And as Mike said, you know, originally it was uh, aimed at the Omaha area schools, and that's what the hearing was. We didn't go in, NCSA didn't go in, because as Mike said, we saw it as a Omaha-only thing. And, and then all of a sudden it was all schools. Well, in first round debate on 705, when everything was moving forward, they said nobody came in to oppose this. Well, yeah, we didn't come in to oppose it because it didn't apply to us. But the other thing was painted or has been painted is that schools want to suspend those young kids. Schools don't want to suspend those young kids. We don't believe that's the best way to go. But there are times when you need to have that separation. One of the things I've talked with some of the senators about is, you know, in, in a bigger school, in a bigger system, you get a student come in and they're a a danger to themselves, the classroom, teacher, whatever, you have to find a different setting. A bigger school is more likely, not always, but more likely to have a program already in place, or they have personnel that might be able to go one-on-one, one-on-two with the student. You get into a small district, they probably, first of all, don't have the program in place to deal with that student, but also don't have personnel of it. And so they may be looking to have to bring in personnel or to hire new personnel. And so my thought on this was to give the school district time to work with the family to address the needs of the student. This bill is kind of taking some of that away, that ability away. That's why we have a hard time with it. It's not that we want to suspend kids. It's that we need time to work with families. So the only amendment that 
Senator McKinney would entertain and did so to that provision was in the event an elementary student brought a deadly weapon to school, obviously, and this is federal law, then the necessary action can be taken. But we tried to get the senator to look at emergency exclusion as another possibility. And we simply, we ran into this machine, this mega committee priority deal where people didn't want to open up any bill because it could be filibustered. And and so senators were very careful about allowing any of our input to, to take place. So it is what it is. 632 is going to be a part of 705. And Senator McKinney was very adamant about that. So Jack, do you want to, switching gears off student discipline now, do you want to talk a little bit about Senator Conrad's 414, the option enrollment on special ed students? Well, first of all, it's not just special ed. That's the biggest part of it. But what it says is uh, with the option enrollment program that a, a school board may set limits on kids that they take into programs, just total number of kids. And then it also addresses special education. It says by, I think it's October 15th, Mike, that a, a board has to declare limits by that date for the coming year. By itself, the date is kind of problematic to us. We think it should be much later in the school year because you don't know what that's going to look like going forward. But anyway, uh, specifically to special education, if a student with an IEP applies to option roll into a school district, public school district, that the special ed director of the school has to do a review and see if uh, there is room for that student, whether it be in the total special education program or a specific disability program. And then they have to provide, if if they're going to deny the option enrollment request, then the district must, you know, must decide it, first of all, on an individual basis, but then make a written response to the, the family explaining why the request is being denied. So the October 15 deadline that Jack mentioned is exactly what we, the lobby, tried to get after and change that date. But we once again were confronted with this very difficult new system where Senator Merman or Senator Conrad or whoever didn't want to take the chance of amending their provision for fear that uh, it could come out or be uh, amended in a way they don't want. So we're just kind of locked into it at the current time. 414 is one now. Another is, speaking of school participation, is LB 372, a Merman bill. When it was introduced, it caused a lot of stir, a lot of commotion because it it basically opened up every public school to a part-time student, a homeschool student. They could come in without any obligation to take any vested interest in the school, the curriculum, and just take uh, extracurricular activities as they wish. Well, this is one where we did win a bit of a battle at the hearing stage, and now the bill, as it came out, said that the student has to be enrolled in, in at least five credit hours. Not a new concept. There's always been sort of this attempt by homeschools to come in and pick and choose what they want out of their public school. The district is just saying, if you're going to represent us in an extracurricular activity, we need to have at least some opportunity to to see that you're meeting our criteria, which not only means keeping up with your classes, 
but also your behavior. And that's kind of the line that public schools, you know, want to maintain rather than just someone showing up for basketball practice. So that's another piece. One of the underlying thoughts about this bill is that it's meant to help retain teachers. And we certainly applaud that. We have been very much a part of those efforts. Really, one of them that Senator Linehan felt very strongly about was the 385, LB 385 and retention grants. Jack, did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Originally, as she first introduced, it would have provided uh, four, I believe, $5,000 grants or stipends to uh, teachers that stay in the business. And it's been amended now to three, I believe, and it's $2,500 to students that stay in the profession. Uh, but it also does provide uh, retention grants of $5,000 to a teacher that would go on and get another certification in a high need area, for example, SPED or or one of the STEAM areas. And then if that teacher then teaches in that area, there'd be a $5,000 grant for that. Uh, originally, it started out at $10 million, Mike, and I has that dropped? or So out of committee, they took off any set amount. Now, that was curious to me because that leaves it pretty much wide open. The other thing they're doing is drawing funds from the Education Future Fund, which is meant to be for school districts foundation aid and special education supplemental aid. And so they're kind of rating in that fund. It's really open-ended. I mean, I think that was part of the idea is to offer at least a token amount of money to teachers to keep them in the profession. But there is no bottom line on it. I was curious why there wasn't, but that's the way they chose to pursue it. So 385, we, we all came in, as I recall, to support that bill because we think that something has to be done. Now, another bill along those lines as LB 603, and that was introduced by Senator Linehan. It was somewhat controversial because uh, Nebraska already has a alternative certification process. You can enroll in these programs. If you already have a four-year degree, you go through the programs and there is a, a process. Uh, and then you can be uh, certified as a teacher. Well, 603, took it a different way and was a little bit controversial. Well, 603 was a very specific bill for what appears to be just allowing one vendor into Nebraska. And so it's, it's odd for a Nebraska bill to be tailored just for a particular company to come in. And our concern was, if this was a good process, wouldn't we want to encourage current universities, uh, players in Nebraska? And that was the concern. And, uh, but it's part of the bill and it's going to be part of it. So another aspect I felt was under discussed, given all that's happening throughout the nation with the school violence and the shootings and, and everything, uh, only one bill was introduced specifically on school safety and security. And that was uh, LB 516 by Senator Lynn Walls. She knew that more has to be done. And it's ironic to me that the very first bill to pass our legislature, uh, the first two bills, I should say, had to do with alcohol and firearms. So that kind of, I don't know if that was the priority there. It is just the way it happened. I don't know. Uh, but the school safety security bill, Lynn's bill, she had to fight very hard. 
to get that incorporated into this package, which she did. It wasn't all that she wanted. She actually had more in mind, but a, a good portion of it was included. So what will happen is as per 516, there's going to be a pot of money set aside, $15 million set aside in order to provide grants to school districts so that they can focus on things, for example, like on replacing a door to make it more secure, uh, locks, that kind of thing. So it's not going to be all-encompassing, but there are districts, I think, don't you, Jack, that would apply for these grants? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and maybe... I, my guess is their applications will far exceed $15 million. And it's too bad that this one is limited to what it is. Ironically, that $15 million piece was one, if not the highest amounts awarded in LB705. So they at least put some priority on that. But it, it is a little curious that Lynn had to try very hard to even have that incorporated. And it was, uh, thankfully, and so it's part of the, the bill. An important part of that, it's, it's a lot smaller dollars, but amended into it was the provision about appropriations for the School Safety and Security Reporting System Act. Uh, so this was an amendment. Safe yeah. to Help is very near and dear to my heart. We worked on that bill originally to get it passed, but we were approaching the end of our third year. And so we needed to have a new infusion of money. And once again, Lynn came to the rescue on that. So as it came out of committee, there's $870,000 per year for the Boys Town Safe to Help report line. And so we're excited to have that. And that's an ongoing uh, appropriation. So as far as we know, it's going to be there for a good long time. So Kyle, you worked with the Catholic Conference prior to session on the textbook loan piece, LB 647. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so a lot of red tape involved with textbook loan and red tape that would be cumbersome to the public schools as well as to the private schools. And so this was a, a good example of really how the private and public schools do work together, much to a different narrative that we sometimes hear. And so we asked a representative from the public school to meet with NDE and private schools. And hopefully uh, we have a bill that has streamlined that process to apply for a textbook loan. And, and so it does fall upon NDE to implement these changes, but uh, we see that as a positive. It'll be more consistent uh, right. because I think in the past, it depended on which schools were involved, how they worked together, and how the program was operated. And I think this would just make it more consistent. Yes. So another, I think, very positive aspect of LB705 has to do with the certification process itself. And for at least the last two, maybe three years, our two groups have been engaged in an effort to change the certification rules as it applies to the test, the initial test. Uh, and then also content test. If you recall last year, uh, LB1218 was the bill that Senator Len Walls had. It got all the way to select file and then was kind of derailed at that point. We got some pieces that we wanted, but not everything. The perspective of most educators today is that that initial test, that praxis test is unnecessary. Well, it's not really a reflection of who's gonna be successful right. as a teacher. So it just felt like, 
Yeah, another hoop that really wasn't necessary, didn't really prove to serve its purpose. So, so we had Senator Vargas, and we definitely appreciate this uh, from him. He introduced LB 724, which was included in LB 705. 724 originally took away all those tests, including the content. But as it came out of committee, the initial test is removed and the content tests are retained. And that was a compromise so that the, the measure could move forward. There are members of the legislature who were objecting to any removal of any of those tests. So this was the compromise that did proceed. So one of the last pieces, Andrew, and then we probably need to talk about LB 298 very quickly. One provision that we had concerns about included in LB 705 was LB 805, which is Senator Von Gillern's measure. We often refer to it as the Boy Scout bill. That's probably not fair. It applies to many youth organizations, but it's the Boy Scout of America that we're pursuing the legislation and have been for a number of years. But what they want is upon getting a criminal history background check, they wanted access to students in the classroom or wherever and without having to get permission. And they just go in and they recruit new Boy Scouts. And so we objected to the bill because we did not want any disruption in the school building, in the classroom. Well, to Senator Von Gillern's credit, he did compromise, and an amendment was offered to say non-instructional time only. So that would be back to recess, lunch, before school, after school, but not during classroom time. That was a nice little success at the end for that process, and we would support it. Yeah, the other piece that was added on to that, as Mike described, also uh, parents could opt out of their children participating. And... Again, this is one of those bills that a senator brings up that thinks, you know, what's the problem? But, you know, we have captive audiences. Those children have to be there. And so we're very protective of a finite amount of instructional time. And then also who interacts with our captive audience. And for instance, I, I think the Boy Scouts allow girls to participate in their groups, but Girl Scouts do not allow boys. So now you're going to have a Girl Scout representative come into a second grade class and pitch belonging to the Girl Scouts, but are you going to have the boys have to sit through that? I mean, it's it's a management issue. And again, I think also falls under the auspices of what's the problem? Where, where, where has that been a problem that we need legislation? Yeah. So we feel that that was a good compromise, and we still don't believe it's necessary, but you know, it's now going to be, become law here shortly. A uh, couple other pieces on 705, Mike. Uh, 153 from Senator DeBoer offers up the ability of smaller districts, especially as I see it, to get help when they have a high need or high dollar special education student move into the district uh, after the budget's already been adopted. That they can get some funding on the front end during the current year. You know, it's not new money for them because moving forward, they wouldn't receive that money down the road, but at least help them to deal with the immediacy of that, of trying to pay for a program for uh, those extraordinary increases in special ed. The other one, Mike, was 520 from Senator Walls. And this is to 
kind of help out a little bit on the computer science class that was required for graduation that was adopted a year ago, the Senator McKinney's bill. First of all, it set back the implementation date a year, but then also says that a school could, instead of just one five-hour class, it could offer the equivalent of that through a series of classes that are taken through the high school to help schools meet that requirement. Uh, That was something I kind of pushed for a year ago, especially in recognition of schools that have one-to-one programs that are covering skills through a variety of classes. So the last piece we'll talk about is there is an amendment on select file that added some new language, replaced some language, and the new content had to do with FAFSA, the financial aid form. This was LB201, Senator Vargas's bill. We've been opposing it for some time because it has nothing to do with academic achievement, yet now it's going to be part of uh, graduation requirement. Again, as I mentioned before, another bill of where's the issue. Every school district in Nebraska encourages students to complete the FAFSA form in order to help, and everybody knows what it is, right? Um, offer classes in different languages, offer evening courses. But Senator Vargas' issue is that Nebraska students are leaving millions of dollars on the table. So now, in order to meet graduation requirements, you either have to complete this form, which is no small chore, or you have to have your parent sign off saying, I don't want to complete the form. Well, it's difficult sometimes to get signatures from parents. So we felt it was unnecessary, but it's not a law. So that's a wrap on 705. Everything you wanted to know and some you didn't want to know, but Uh, The last piece, I think, Andrew, that it's going to be very important to know for school administrators and all educators, really, is uh, LB-298 was originally introduced by Senator Lenahan. It has to do with dyslexia, and it's going to require some reporting on the part of school districts and NDE. That bill is, is on final reading. Now, when it was on select file, it was amended with the consent of Senator Lenahan by Senator McKinney. And he wanted to add his LB 630 into that measure. Now, his bill had to do with dress codes and grooming policy. So there's a little thing in the legislature called germaneness. If it's not germane to the original topic, it should not be allowed in. Well, I always like to joke about this. Germaneness goes out the window at some point in time. In every session, what would have been challenged as non-germane therefore cannot be uh, incorporated, simply doesn't even get challenged. And in this case, uh, Senator Linehan didn't mind the, the incorporation of that completely separate issue, and nobody challenged it on the floor. So therefore, it was brought. So now you have a dyslexia slash dress code bill. Well, both of those measures are going to be new mandates for schools, and there's going to be more reporting by schools. And then, of course, there's going to be policy requirements that are going to be necessary with that measure. So it is what it is. But that's, again, kind of the nature of this legislative session is that uh, almost everything we used to know is now out the window and we're adjusting to a new reality. And everybody is. Lawmakers, lobbyists, everybody is, is adjusting. Well, and I think a part of that adjustment 
is just being able to hold conversations and learn as we can in spaces like this where we're able to you know continue to stay up to date. And so I certainly want to say thank you to NCSA and also NERCSA and the three of you, obviously, in particular for your leadership uh, and for being able to distill this down into a half hour podcast conversation. I know that there's hours and days of work and being present and being active too in the amendments and the process that goes into it. And I know from my own experiences with NCSA, I got a chance to be a part of legislative advocacy training that you all do. And I know there's another one of those coming up. Uh, and in addition to that, I know on June 12th, NCSA is hosting for its members uh, a legal implications training that will go into some of this content in more detail. Would you like to take a moment just to kind of talk to that event and what NCSA does in that space? Well, thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that. Uh, yes, we're going to have a 2023 session review uh, along with legal implications. And so I'm going to have uh, Mr. Justin Knight from Perry Law Firm join Kyle and I as we go through all the nuances, all the pieces that members need to be aware. Uh, and unfortunately, with, with so much contained in one bill, 705, our members are really going to have to start now, not, not later, not two months, three months down the road. They're going to have to get busy right away because there's so much to know and, and understand. So we're going to have that on June 12th. And then the second part of that in the afternoon, I have Bryce Wilson coming in to talk to members about the new school finance package that we anticipate passing. And that would include the foundation aid and the new education supplemental aid. So we're going to have Bryce take us through that. And so I think on one issue or another, I think our members will, will have value in it. Wow. Well, uh, so yeah, make sure that if you are a member that you check out that event on June 12th to learn more. Uh, but once again, thank you all for uh, your time and for sharing your expertise uh, and really synthesizing down a lot of information into our podcast today. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, thank you. Andrew.